Ignition sequence start. See, Elijah Wan has David Robinson just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three hitters. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McGrady at the buzzer. Yeah! Oh! Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three, and got it! I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's going to be scary. Not for us. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. I am your host, Jackson Gatlin, at JT Gatlin on Twitter. Producer with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship here in Houston. I don't know about you guys, but I'm getting pretty tired of these come-from-behind wins. They're exciting, but they are taking their toll on me. Emotionally, physically, I don't know if I can do it anymore. First the Spurs, now the Clippers. I mean, don't get me wrong, it makes for fun basketball. It really does. Seeing your team climb back into a game, dig its way back into in, into a basketball game, and eventually take the lead and then come away with the W. It's fun. It's exciting. But the stretch where you're down, let's face it, it really sucks. <laughs> and the Rockets were down big. They were down 15 at the half against the Clippers. Did not play a great first half. And the Clippers actually played a phenomenal first half of basketball. They, they were shooting lights out from behind the arc. It was something like 53% at halftime that they were shooting. And look, I knew that this would regress, and I went, I jumped straight on Twitter at halftime, and I was I had a bunch of guys over at my apartment, and we were all watching the game together, and I was, I was real quiet. Everybody else was, you know, joking around, having a good time, and I was real quiet because I was sitting there in quiet contemplation, really thinking, you know what, the Clippers are going to regress, because they're not going to hold up 53% three-point shooting for the remainder of this game. It's just not going to happen. And then on top of that, even though the Rockets were down big, they weren't exactly... There were a few defensive miscues against the Clippers in the first half, and maybe the energy and the effort wasn't quite all the way there at times. But for the most part, it was really just the Clippers hitting an absurd number of contested shots. Like, it felt like every shot that Kawhi Leonard had hit was contested. P.J. was doing a great job on him. And now Paul George did get his fair share of wide-open looks in the first half, that's for sure. I, I remember at least a pair of three-pointers where, again, defensive rotations weren't there, and Paul George just sinks wide-open threes. And you can't give Paul George wide-open threes and expect to win a game. Now, it worked in the Rockets' favor in this game, but he did shoot 6 of 12 overall. So Paul George shot 50%. You can't give him that many open looks or he will take advantage of it. But that first half, I just knew that they were the Clippers were going to come back down to earth. And it happens. This is how basketball works. You play one amazing half, and then you have a half where you either play below your usual averages or you kind of average back out. And it's really hard to sustain that level of play for a full 48 minutes. So I knew that the Clippers would come back down to earth. And there were people at halftime saying that they were turning the game off, that they were done with this Rockets team. And it's so important to remember to just relax. Give this team a chance. 
James did basically the same thing against the Clippers that he did against the Spurs, where he had a pretty rough first half and then came out in the second half and actually played a really phenomenal second half of basketball. I think against the Spurs, he had something like nine points in the first half and he finished with 28. And then in this game against the Clippers, he had seven points. I want to say it was 7.6 assists in the first half. And he finished with 28 points and 10 assists. So he came out and had a strong second half and did exactly what he needed to do. He closed out the game. Now, Russell Westbrook is the guy who was the workhorse for the entire game. And this is exactly why the Rockets got Russell Westbrook. Kelly Eco had a phenomenal article about it in The Athletic if you haven't checked it out yet. But the idea that Westbrook is not the Robin to James Harden's Batman. Harden is still Batman, but Westbrook is Superman. And I really, I kind of, I, I like this comparison because on any given night, Westbrook can be your go-to guy. Westbrook can legitimately be the better player on the court between he and James Harden. Is it going to happen a lot? No. James is the more consistent of the two players. He is the better of the two players. But there are going to be some nights where if defenses are loading up on James too much or if he just doesn't quite have the shooting stroke that night or whatever the reason may be, maybe the defense is just more keyed into perimeter D and it's harder for James to get his step back three off or they're sending the double teams and maybe they don't have a great interior defense like the Clippers, then Westbrook is going to feast. And that's exactly what he did. Westbrook finished the game with 40 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. He had a steal. His shooting was... uh, eh, Could have been better. 12 of 31 overall. Not phenomenal numbers. A little below where we would want him to be at. A little below that 50% threshold. He was 2 of 6 from behind the 3-point line, which we'll take. We'll take 33% from Westbrook. 12 of 13 at the free throw line. His free throw shooting continues to be a strong part of his game in a Rockets jersey. Harden, again, had 28 points. He had 10 dimes, just one rebound, 2 steals, a block. His shooting in the first half was not super great, but overall he finished 8 of 16, 5 of 11 from behind the arc. And then just 7 of 10 at the free throw line. So a few misses there for James, which is a kind of a rarity. He's you know hovering around that almost 90% mark from the free throw line. Capella picked it up as well. He had 16 points, 8 rebounds. He had an assist. He had 4 steals. 4 steals for Capella, which were all very clutch. Just kind of getting his hands in there, knocking the ball around. And you know even though he wasn't... I guess being a shot blocker this game, he only finished the game with one block. He was definitely kind of mucking things up there in the paint, which was crucial for this game. Overall, the Rockets starters played played their roles really well. Daniel House came back in. He had a couple threes, and House's shot has been sorely missed. So to see him come back into a game, and there was a piece written in, my apologies because I can't remember who published it, but basically explaining that Daniel House has said in an interview that the reason his shot has suddenly just gone awry is because all the strength conditioning and strength training that he's been doing, especially after the back injury, has kind of thrown off his shot mechanics a little bit. And so that I, I thought that was pretty interesting that, you know, an NBA player like Daniel House, an NBA player of his caliber, simply just 
getting stronger kind of throws you off a little bit. And I think we've seen similar situations like with Clint Capella putting on all the extra weight to try and bulk up a little bit. He kind of lost some of his speed and it made it a little bit harder for him to chase around guards on the perimeter. So this is something that NBA players do struggle with. If you add a bunch of strength, especially to your upper body, it would impact your shot form and kind of getting the right touch on the ball again. And so it's kind of cool to see that come out and to have a legitimate reason for why Daniel House's shot has suddenly just disappeared when we were relying on him as a consistent 40 plus percent three point shooter for much of the season. PJ Tucker, as always, playing phenomenal defense, along with Daniel House. Having those two guys on your wings to help guard Paul George and Kawhi Leonard was great. PJ Tucker was huge down the stretch. So many great contests and great stops against those two guys down the stretch of the game. So overall, the starters were phenomenal. Austin Rivers and Ben McLemore were your two main punches off the bench. Not many minutes for Gary Clark or Tyson Chandler, just three for Clark, seven for Chandler. So essentially, you ran a seven-man rotation. I'm glad that the fatigue did not play a factor in this game because, again, your starters were all pushing the 40-minute mark with Russell Westbrook actually hitting the 40-minute mark. So if this game had gone to overtime, I think the advantage would have been in the Clippers' favor, not just because it was a home game, but because Doc Rivers was running a 10-man deep rotation, whereas D'Antoni was essentially running a 7-man deep rotation. So Eric Gordon can't get back soon enough because these rotations have been pretty killer And we'll keep talking about this game and more, but quick word from our friends over at Casper. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. You can get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com and using code LOCKEDONMBA at checkout. Terms and conditions will apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. And we are back in here at Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, talking about the Rockets 122-117 win against the LA Clippers, the Rockets moving to 19-9 on the season, the Clippers sitting at 21-9, and just their second loss at home. Rockets are the second team to beat the Clippers on their home court this season. Rockets have been playing some strong basketball. Again, look, they've got some losses that they shouldn't have. That's very clear. This team has been wildly inconsistent at times. But the reason I'm still hopeful for this team is because the ceiling is so absurdly high. Because when you have a game like this, where Russell Westbrook had a really phenomenal game all around, he did have eight turnovers, and those were not that great. James Harden also had six turnovers. But in a game where Russell Westbrook had a 40-point game, almost not quite a 40-point triple-double, it was 40-10-5, but a 40-point burger from Russell Westbrook. Eight turnovers, though, so some good with some bad. James Harden, just 28 points and six turnovers. Not as, You didn't get a perfect game from either of your superstars. They had their struggles along the way. And it's not like your role players shot a lights-out shooting percentage. P.J. Tucker just 1 of 5. Daniel House 2 of 6. Rivers was 2 of 4. Ben McMore 2 of 5. It's not like anybody was shooting, was on fire from behind the arc. So overall, this was just kind of a gutsy win where the Rockets really sealed this thing with their defense in the second half. 
I mean, after giving up 69 points, which wasn't super nice in the first half, they only gave up 48 in the second half. That's huge. This team, when they want to, can lock in and play good defense. And you, you can attribute the second half to the Clippers just missing some shots. Absolutely. Sure. But the Rockets were actively getting into the Clippers more on defense in the second half. They were rebounding the ball better. I, th- I want to say at halftime, the Rockets were being out-rebounded. They were, the, the team stats were mostly all in favor of the Clippers at halftime. The shooting was in favor of the Clippers. They were shooting th- 53% from behind the arc. I think they had the lead at the free throw line. The rebounding was in favor of the Clippers. And a lot of these numbers wound up tilting the Rockets' way by the end of the game. The Rockets wound up out-rebounding the Clippers 51-47. to They wound up getting more attempts at the charity stripe. 29 attempts for the Rockets to just 19 for the Clippers. Rockets did just shoot 22 of 29, so 76%. Clippers were 15 of 19 for 79%. And a handful of those free throws were the technicals from... Patrick Beverly and Lou Williams, well, I take that back. Patrick Beverly's didn't get assessed any free throws, but Lou Williams, and this was kind of a a turning point in this game. There was a point, and I want to say it was into the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, where Lou Williams vehemently objected to a foul call that was whistled on him and immediately started protesting the referee right away, and, and I'm talking like very animated. He was definitely in the ref's grill. He was having to be held back by Doc and a, and a teammate. And Lou Williams, for a guy who is as laid back as he normally is with his demeanor, with his personality on the court at least, it was rare to see him get this riled up about a foul call. But, you know, it's a close game. It's kind of this new heated rivalry between the Rockets and the Clippers for a lot of reasons. You've got Patrick Beverly. You've got the ex-Rockets. You've got James Harden, you've got Russell Westbrook with his beef with Patrick Beverly, and now you've got Austin Rivers and Doc Rivers have stuff going on there. So this is kind of a new found rivalry between the Clippers and Rockets. And so things got a little heated, and Lou Williams was objecting to this foul call and got teed up twice, and it got got ejected on the spot. And it just so happened that that ejection really helped the Rockets kind of seal this thing because Lou Williams had he been available, might have been a better option as a closer for this team than Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. Because, even it, look, I'm not saying Lou Williams is better than PG or Kawhi. I'm not doing that. But it just gives you a third option. Because the Rockets really only have two great plus defenders that they can throw against a Clippers lineup, and that's Tucker and Daniel House. So if you then throw out Lou Williams into the mix, then suddenly you have to worry about being able to D up three insanely great offensive weapons. And that just get, I mean, you think back to the to the way the Rockets lost the last time against the Clippers. It's really hard to D up that many guys that are phenomenal on, on offense. And Lou Williams is definitely in that closing lineup for the Clippers. So him being booted out was huge for this team to be able to secure the W. And then also on top of that, down the line, there were foul troubles across the board for both teams. P.J. Tucker, I remember, picked up his fifth really early in the fourth, or maybe not really early, but definitely with enough time left in the fourth that I was genuinely worried that he would pick up his sixth and have to sit down, and the Rockets would have to rely on Austin Rivers in the closing lineup. 
Thankfully, that didn't happen. Somebody who did pick up their sixth foul was Patrick Beverly. So Beverly always pretty much uses his his six fouls to his advantage, and he also got ejected because he picked up a technical early in the game. And as he picked up his sixth foul and was being escorted off the court, he was, I guess, taken too long or whatever it may have been and got teed up a second time. So then Beverly gets escorted off the court, and then Russell Westbrook just (sighs) being Brody decided to wave off Patrick Beverly as he was leaving. And I'm guessing he was also barking something at him. You know, it's it's Russ. That's what he's going to do. And so then Russ gets teed up. And you saw this great moment between James Harden and Russell Westbrook where James just comes over and starts shoving Russ away, just pushing, shoving Russ away because Russ starts immediately – objecting to the technical he's like no I was I just waved him once like you know it wasn't me it wasn't whatever you knew what you did you you deserve the technical for talking smack or whatever you were doing even if it was just a little wave you know you can't do that that warrants a technical if you let the ref see it and so James comes over immediately starts shoving him away and he starts talking to him and you can kind of make out the words he's like use your head he's pointing to his head and everything he's like he's shoving Russell away and he's like use your head And it's so unique because Russ has never had, I think, a teammate. Because I don't don't remember a time where Kevin Durant did this with Russell Westbrook. And maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe the listeners who are here from Oklahoma City who have followed Russ for more of his career than I have can help chime in with this. But it's great to see Russ, who at times can be a bit of a hothead and get a little bit caught up in his emotions... It's great to see him have his friendship with James Harden on that court where James can come over and call him out on it and say, Russ, use your head. Focus on the game. Don't let the don't let things get caught up with it. You know, don't get caught up in what's going on with them. Just focus on us, focus on the game. We saw this a bit earlier this season. I can't remember who the Rockets were playing, but the the NBA national media tried to make it this big thing. It was that clip of James and Russ discussing a play and James was getting really animated with it saying like you know using his hands and gesturing really rapidly and kind of saying like you know you need to be here and this needs to be here and Westbrook was responding and kind of it looked like they were having a more or less heated argument but that's what you want between your two stars you want them to discuss things you want them to have a relationship where they both feel some level of accountability and where they're not afraid to call each other out on things whether it's Russ calling out James for lack of effort, whether it's James calling out Russ for not using his head, it doesn't matter. The idea that this strong friendship between these two allows them the comfortability to feel like they can have these discussions is huge because we've seen what happens when your two star players don't discuss things. We've seen that really horrible 41 and 41 season by the Rockets. We've seen the falling apart of James Harden and Dwight Howard. They they refused to discuss things. They were both quiet and reserved and they just opted to not ever have serious discussions about the team or about the direction of the franchise or whatever, and that's not good. You can't have that between your two best players. There has to be some level of accountability and some level of leadership there. And it's again, it, that moment As great as the win was, it was really great to see that moment between Westbrook and Harden take place on the court. Because then, afterwards, the Rockets went on to win the game. They played really great basketball down the stretch, and the keys 
to how they sealed away this game, I'll talk about in the very next segment. Sorry, that was a bit of a tease. But really quickly, I do have a quick message from our friends over at Breaking Tea. If you are looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' passionate moments. Great for all fans. You can go to BreakingTea.com slash LockedOn and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. And we are back in here for our final segment at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Talking about the Rockets' really strong statement win against the Clippers. And this win, look, the the way this game kind of wrapped up the fourth quarter, the back and forth between these two teams, the Rockets had a lead, 101-89, a 12-point lead near the end of the four, five, four minutes left in the fourth quarter before the Clippers made their run. The Clippers jumped ahead 113-107 at one point. And it started to look like the game was actually slipping away from the Rockets. But then three offensive possessions in a row, you had a James Harden three-pointer to make it 113-110. Then you had the Westbrook-Daniel House fast break where Daniel House got the steal. Looked like he was going to try and take it in himself 2v1 and then made a really smart pass to Westbrook where Westbrook was able to finish over the defender and get the and one. That made it 113-all. And then James Harden comes back down and does James Harden things hits the three, gives the Rockets the 116-113 lead. And then there were a few more baskets down the line to kind of put the thing away. But the key moments to me near the end of that game were the three possessions in a row that the Rockets got clutch offensive rebounds. Those three offensive rebounds in a row, which I think, if memory serves, Brody had a hand in two of them. Those offensive rebounds won you the game. Because those offensive rebounds prevented you having to play defense against the extremely potent Clippers offense, where surely Kawhi Leonard or PG would have found some type of a window to get a shot off to put the game into OT, to extend, whatever. Those offensive rebounds were all hustle, all grit. That was just sheer want to. Even though the shots weren't falling, And yeah, sometimes offensive rebounds are just lucky. It's all about how the ball bounces or whatever. But you have to have the drive and the want to secure those offensive rebounds. So to see the Rockets come away with this win on the backs of that hard effort as well as the defense in the second half. Again, the Rockets did not shoot phenomenally. This was not a game that they won because they are one of the best offenses in the NBA. For the most part, things weren't clicking that well offensively. And they were able to come back into this game using their defense and hustling and making basically winning the 50-50 plays. That's exactly how they won this game. And again, having Westbrook drop in 40 points was nice. This is the first time that a Rocket has dropped, I think it's like 30-plus points in back-to-back games since Jeremy Lin. That's that's how long it's been since a Rocket has been able to drop in back-to-back 30-point games since Jeremy Lin was a Houston Rocket. That's a throwback right there. And this is only the third time, I believe, this season that James Harden has not been the high point man for the Rockets. Actually, it might be fourth time because I think that game in Toronto, was it, where Ben McLemore went off? I think he was the high point man then. So four games, three for Brody, one for Ben Mack, and then Harden has been the high point man everywhere else. But you know what? It doesn't matter 
because he as much as as much as I would love for him to actually average like 39 points a game or maybe even break 40 a game and keep that scoring metric really high so that my prediction that he scores more than 36 points per game stays true. I know that James doesn't care about that. And frankly, I don't care about it either. When we're, in all honesty, it'd be nice to be able to say that, but who cares? James did exactly what he needed to do this game, which was facilitate the ball well in the first half, try to get the ball to the open man. And in the second half, when the defense finally let up a little bit, when he was able to get some breathing room, he finally he helped to take over the game. And it wasn't quite like the Spurs game where Westbrook was dominant in the first half and then disappeared in the second half where Harden was also ghost in the first half and then showed up in the second half. It wasn't just one half for each of them. Westbrook continued to play well in this second half. And that was really nice to see. It was great to see Brody from start to finish have a really strong game. He Again, the eight turnovers is a little bit concerning. There were just some a few possessions where Brody was going so fast, it's like he forgot to bring the ball with him. And those are a bit concerning because you, you just look at those where you're thinking, if you would just slow up just a little bit, if you would just go from 100% energy to like 93%, you'd still be faster than every other human being on the court but you also wouldn't lose the basketball while you're trying to drive to the basket. Sorry, those ones bother me. But again, overall, this was a strong win for this Rockets club. And you're doing this again on the back of Harden and Westbrook and without Eric Gordon. I've said it plenty, and I'm going to continue to say it until Eric Gordon returns because, again, he is a crucial part of this team. He is an important variable for this Rockets team. So for everybody who's considering this Rockets team not a championship contender, people who are counting these Rockets out this early in the season, we haven't gotten a great look at how this team will actually play because they haven't been healthy. They haven't had their full available roster. And I'd imagine that upon Eric Gordon's return, if he's even 80% of what we're used to him being, this team is going to be really tough to beat. Again, Eric Gordon doesn't suddenly make you a top 10 defensive team, but what he gives you on offense, the consistency that he provides you on offense and the potential for him to go off on any given evening for 20 or 30 plus points, that's huge because then those are possessions that you're not coming away with a dud possession on offense. Because suddenly, if you're missing shots on offense, then guess what? You have to play transition defense, which this team is not very good at. And having to play transition defense is not fun for this Rockets club. They just let this, they flat out suck at it, honestly. Watching this team try and play transition defense is maddening because people don't want to get back. They're giving up open looks. So limiting transition opportunities for the other team is huge. And one way you can do that is simply being better offensively, making more of your shots. If you miss less shots... Teams cannot get out and transition against you. Now, obviously, that's not the e- – you'd rather just say that the Rockets can actually, you know, pick up a guy and transition and stop the break from happening, which P.J. Tucker does occasionally when he's the one near the ball, but that doesn't always happen. Sometimes the Rockets just decide not to pick up a man in transition. But again, I am I digress. This was a good win for the Rockets. They knocked off the Clippers who were – I think they're still sitting at second in the Western Conference right now. So, amazing win. And it's not, you don't want to just call it out and say, oh, it's just a regular season win. It doesn't matter. Absolutely, it matters. Yeah, Clippers are sitting at second in the West right now, 21 and 9. Denver Nuggets right behind them at 18 and 8. And then you've got 
your very own Houston Rockets at 19-9. and Doing all this without a healthy Eric Gordon. Russell Westbrook continues to look really good. And I've said it in a couple pods now already. If this is the Westbrook that we're going to get for the rest of this season, this team is going to be insanely good. The ceiling is so ridiculously high that upon Eric Gordon's return, and if this team can just figure out how to be a bit more consistent on the defensive side of things and not let themselves get put into these gigantic, you know, down 12, down 17, down 25 holes against teams, they're going to be really, really good. Now, for this early morning Friday podcast, because it was a late game tip-off, this is where we'll end things. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Now, if you want more content before our next show, social media is where it's all happening. I'm on there at JT Gatlin, and the show is on there at Locked on Rockets. Past that, there's Facebook, which can be found at facebook.com slash lockedonrockets, the website lockedonrockets.com, and of course, our email address, lockedonrockets at gmail.com. All of these are different ways to consume content about your Houston Rockets. You can ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, place advertising inquiries, Really, it's just a way for you to reach out and let me know if there's anything we can do to improve this experience for you, our listeners. Beyond that, if you'd be kind enough to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya, wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts, if you could please take a moment to subscribe and give us a five-star review. That's how you get the benefit of episodes that go straight to your inbox before they show up on the previously mentioned social media outlets. And then we get the benefit of looking attractive to potential advertisers and keeping this business model rolling along as the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. Again, for this very early morning, Friday, December 20th episode, this is where we break. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we hope to have you back again very, very soon right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.